So this is what we call a one-off where we can talk about what we want. And you know, it would have been an ordinary day, but this wasn't an ordinary day. She was burying her son today, her only son. You know, life was, it wasn't easy after the death of her husband, but at least she had her son to help, and he was an awesome help to her every single day. And you know, a mother's not supposed to have to bear your children, but yet here she was, and this was the day. And the grief was like a chain and a ball wrapped around her neck, dragging her to the ground every day, and she just couldn't get out from underneath the grief. And the town was a small town, and everybody knew her, and everybody knew her son, and they all came out for the funeral, which was, which was great. You know, and any other day, she would have really appreciated the support, but on that particular day, she wanted nothing to do with it. She just wanted to be alone. And life would be a lot different going forward. She knew that, and as they were heading towards the burial ground, Walking next to, the, next to the casket, she heard all the voices of the people wailing and crying, the people that knew her and they knew her son. And occasionally she would look up and she'd see the casket and it just started that whole cycle all over again of thinking of the grief and how life was going to be so hard and the reality of his death. And she wondered, would there ever be an escape from feeling like this? And as she looked up once again, she saw a large group of people coming towards them. And there was a man in the front, and he came right up to her. And he stood, and he looked her in the eyes, and it seemed to look right at her soul. And he said, do not weep. And the funeral procession ground to a halt, and everybody stared at this man, and he turned around, and he touched the casket. And they were just wondering, what is he doing? And then he said, with every eye fixed upon him, he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And this man sat up from the casket and he started to speak. And then the man brought the young man down and he, and he gave him to his mother. And that's all we know. But as my daughter Megan would say, wow, we, this funeral just went from zero to 100 in about 10 seconds. Can you imagine that? You guys, a lot of you know what I'm saying. I'm telling the story from the Bible of the woman from Nain whose only son died. And here comes Jesus. <laughs> Out of the blue, he raises this guy from the dead. This went from a zero ordinary day to a pretty much 100 extraordinary day in about 10 seconds. It's amazing. And wouldn't you just love to be there? Because I bet all those people were never the same again. If you saw something like that, would you be the same after that? Heck no. It's amazing, right? But wouldn't you also like to have days like that? Days that just cemented your faith, that just propelled you forward, and you're like a whole new person because of what you saw, what you experienced. And I think that we all would love to have days like that. But the truth is that your days probably aren't like that. We, we have a lot of just ordinary, regular days. And sometimes I even feel like my Christianity is like that. It's just ordinary, right? And it's not always clear what it's about. When I was in my early 20s is when I first became a Christian. And I, and I thought that God was just going to kind of lay it all out for me, tell me what I needed to do, and that I would do it, and then he would bless me. I would have great marriage. I wouldn't have any money problems. I wouldn't have any job problems. Everything would pretty much go as, as I thought that it should, and then it just didn't work out that way. I, did, 
I had a lot of those things, but not everything that I thought. You know, along the way, I've heard people say, you know, well, God showed me this, or, or God told me that, and, and it was really kind of hard to argue with that if he did, but I felt like, you know, a lot of times my prayers don't even go above the ceiling. They hit the ceiling, and they bounce off, and it doesn't go much above that, and I just find myself living this ordinary life. And at some point, I don't know about you guys, but have you gotten there to the point that you just say, is this it? Is this it? Is this what my life is about? Is this all there is to it? That happened to me about my early 40s. I wasn't the rock star that I wanted to be. I wasn't a movie star. GQ didn't come to take the picture of my physique. And I hadn't become a best-selling author. None of that had happened. I had this ordinary life, you know? And where was all the joy I was supposed to have? I was a Christian. I was supposed to have all this joy. I'm doing things for God, but I just wasn't feeling it. And so today, I just want to spend a little time about that, talking about that, how to take the ordinary days and make them into extraordinary days. So I'm going to read a whole bunch of scripture up front. We're going to go through a story. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, go to Acts 16. But I kind of want to set the stage for this. When I read the Bible, I love to just... um, immerse myself in it, and I want to picture what it was like to be there. I want to picture the, the dirty, sandy roads with the, the stucco houses, you know. They didn't have lights. They had candles, and they had dirty feet. The sun is hot, and I, I picture that when I read the Bible, and we're going to take a look at Paul. <clears throat> so to set the stage, Paul had already had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he used to be a person who persecuted Christians, and now he was a sold-out believer. And so he's, he knows what his, what his calling is, and it's to go and teach people. He's excited to share about Jesus, as were the other disciples. So he and another disciple, Barnabas, had been traveling together, and then they had a disagreement, and they decided to go their own ways and go different directions. So Paul has this guy named Silas that he's going to take with him on his trips, and they're going to go back to all of the churches that they had started, and they're going to go back and visit him. And he went to a town called Lystra, and they met a guy named Timothy, and he joined him. So now we pick up. They're just leaving, getting ready to leave. And in verse 6, it says, Next, Paul and Silas traveled throughout the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at the time. Then, coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. It would have been so easy if they said Salem or Derry. You know, we're <laughs> getting to Bithynia. Anyway, that's where they went. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. And, you know, right away I sit there and look. He wanted to, Paul, who, who wanted to go to these places, and, and he says that the Holy Spirit prevented him from going here, and Jesus prevented him from going there. And here's a guy who has a direct hotline to God, it seems, and even he doesn't know where he's supposed to go. That's kind of comforting to me. It's like, you don't even know where you're going to go, Paul, except day by day. But the thing is, shouldn't it be just as okay for God to lead us through a closed door as it is an open door? He should be able to do either, and it's okay. So we go on, we pick up in verse 9, it says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and we sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis, and from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. 
And we sat down and we began to speak to the women that were gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come stay at my house. And she persuaded us. It amazes me that this guy, Paul, can have a dream at night that somebody's calling him over to another city to go talk to him and preach to him. And he wakes up in the morning and goes, we got to go. Let's go. And they pack up and they head out. How many of us could have a dream and then we wake up in the morning and we just obey it? Wouldn't you be going, man, I had this dream and I don't know if that was real or not. I don't know if I'm supposed to do it. Not Paul. He just steps out and he goes. And I just think that's so cool. He's, he's got the faith to step out. And then they go out to Macedonia and they get there and they go out to find a place to go to the synagogue, expecting there to be a synagogue, but there's not enough people to have one. So Paul just kind of rolls with it, and he goes, okay, well, let's talk to these ladies. They sit down and talk to these ladies, and one of them becomes saved, this lady named Lydia. When I think of Lydia, I think of a Fortune 500 exec, because it takes 12,000 of these little snails to get 1.4 grams of purple dye, just enough to go around the hem of a garment. So if she's a dealer in purple cloth and she's a dealer in this, I think she's a pretty astute businesswoman to do that, to have an operation to get 12,000 snails and get the purple dye out of it. So I think of a classy, persuasive business person, and, and she meets Paul, they get saved, and then she invites him to her house, and he goes. Then we continue. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many, many days. So I think of this. Here's this little slave girl, and she earns money for other people by telling the future. And she's, what she's saying is true. I want to put her up front. I want to put her way up front and said, Go down and yell that all you want, and all the people will come out. Because it's true. But Paul doesn't do that. He keeps her in the back. And it says, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. You want to know what's so interesting about Paul is, he was more concerned about where that was coming from than what was coming out. What was coming out was true. That was great. But he knew that there was something behind it that wasn't good. And he was more concerned about that. And it's amazing, as we read about Paul, he, ta- he touches the top of the food chain from world leaders down to a little slave girl. He touches lives every day, all the way in between. And God talk is okay until it hits their wallet. And then it's not okay. It's the same way today. So we continue. And it says, they brought them before the magistrates, and they said, these men are Jews, and they're throwing our whole city into an uproar by advocating customs that are unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. So the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Cyrus, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, And he fastened their feet to the stocks. 
Then about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I imagine this jail, and when I think of it, they had their feet locked and tied down to the ground, fastened to some stocks. They had been beaten earlier in the day, so I'm sure their backs were all bloody, and I bet that their shirt was sticking to their scabs. They're sitting in this jail that's dirty, cold, probably stinks like urine and body odor, and it's just nasty. And then midnight, here they are singing and praying. And then suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up, and when he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And Paul shouted, no, no, don't harm yourself. We're, we're all here. We're all here. And the jailer called for the lights, and they rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others at that house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, and he washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Are you crazy? Are you crazy? You're in jail. There's an earthquake happens. You can run, and you don't. What is wrong with you? It's like, were they waiting to go, hey, Paul, what's the fourth verse of that song? Because we don't know it. It's an awesome song. We want to stick around and listen to it. Why would you stay? But he does. And it's like, holy cow, you're certifiable. Anyway, he doesn't. He stays. And then it says, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. So the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. So go in peace. And Paul says to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, 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 no. You let them come themselves and escort us out. So the officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went back to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters, and they encouraged them, and then they left. All right, crazy again. You had a get-out-of-jail card for free. You're supposed to use the get-out-of-jail card for free before you go to jail, not after you go to jail. What are you doing? You, You didn't even have to go to jail. But he didn't. He didn't use it. I just think he's nuts. But you know, the thing is, why did God send this earthquake at midnight, and then they don't even get out until the morning? And here's the deal. Paul realized the whole time it wasn't about him. The earthquake wasn't about him. Going to jail wasn't about him. Paul could have sat there in jail and just wallowed in misery. If it were me, I would have been sitting in jail, tied up, going, this is horrible. God, this isn't fair. I've been out preaching the word, doing my thing, doing everything for you, and this is what you do for me. This is what I get out of it. I get to go to jail. Way to go, God. I really love this. This is great. That would have been me, but not Paul. Paul's sitting in there, and he's singing, and he's praying in jail. 
You know, he knew it wasn't about it. And God had said to him, it's not your ball. So it makes me kind of think, what stuff in my life am I going through or are you going through? And it's not about you. It's not for you. You know, we're so used to being all about us, but it's not about us. I think of Tom Murphy, who Maddie Murphy sits here all the time, and Tom was one of our first elders at Shiloh, and Tom got cancer, and a men's PSA level is supposed to be between four and six. Tom's was at 700. The man was dying, and he got sicker and sicker, and then he went into hospice, and he was going to die, and everybody knew he was going to die. We all knew it. And we're praying for Tom. And then God brings his PSA level from 700 back to 20. And they kick him out of hospice. Who gets kicked out of hospice? You go there to die. You you don't get evicted from hospice. And Tom got evicted from hospice. And he's all, well, what do I do with this? Tom took that extra time, that extra number of months, and he knew it wasn't about him. He spent that time telling people what God was doing in his life. He spent time telling people about Jesus. It wasn't his ball. It was God's ball. And I think of a number of years ago, I had a gentleman who called and said he wanted to go out to breakfast, so he went out to breakfast. And I heard all about his marriage, the issue with his kids weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And then he asked me to go out again, and we went, and I heard the same story again and again. For months, we were doing this, a number of times a week, going out, and I would hear the same story. And honestly, I was like, this isn't going anywhere. This isn't getting fixed. And God told me, it's not your ball. It's not about you. And it was so humbling to think, you know, everything becomes about us, and it wasn't about me at all. But you see, Paul had his ear to the ground, and he knew what God was asking him to go through, and he was willing to do it. And when they get out, if I had gone to back to Lydia's house, I would have been going, look what they did. Look at that. Look at that big one there. And they jailed me all night long, and they had me tied up. And it, was, it would have been about me, me, me. And Paul doesn't do that. He goes to Lydia's house, and they encouraged them. It wasn't about him. He made it about them. You know, and I think of this whole thing with Paul. And when I think of, you know, what's God's will for our lives? It's not as always as clear as we think that it should be. Paul couldn't see it. It was just an ordinary day, day after day. I mean, think about it. We just read about a little thing. But here's Paul, all right? He becomes a disciple. He believes in Jesus. He meets all the other disciples. He meets with Barnabas, and he goes out on the road with Barnabas. They get in a fight, so he goes and he separates ways, and he takes Silas with him. And they go to another town called Lystra. They met Timothy, and then he has a dream at the middle of the night. They get up in the middle of the morning. They get up, and they go, and they go to Macedonia. He goes out to find the synagogue to pray with some people. The synagogue's not there because there's not enough people to have one. So he says, all right, I'll roll with it. And he meets this gal named Lydia. Her and her whole house, they get baptized. They go crazy and whatnot. And then he next day he goes out, and there's this little annoying girl following him. He follows her, and then he yells at her, and he gets a spirit cast out of her. Oh, well, that's a great thing. And then he gets in trouble for that. And then they beat him and they beat him with rods. They throw him in prison. He's sitting in prison. He's tied up at night and they start singing. Oh, wow. A whole earthquake comes and he gets loosened up. Then the jailer comes in and he goes, hey, how about you? Why don't you get baptized? Oh, yeah, let's baptize the whole entire house. They baptize the whole entire house. He goes out the next day. He gets to get, get even with the people. Oh, well, you shouldn't have done that to me. Hey, you're not supposed to do that. Oh, my gosh. Ordinary day, right? But look what we got out of it. We got the book of Timothy 1, Timothy 2. We got the book of Acts, the book of Philippians. And to Paul, it was just another day, ordinary to extraordinary, right? You ever consider with what you're doing every day, what impact it could have on somebody in one year, three years, five years, 100 years? Do you really think Paul sat there and said, I wonder on February 16, 2020, they're going to be reading about my ordinary days, you know, how extraordinary they became? 
You see, every day is a gift. Every day that we have is a gift. And what makes an extraordinary day is the extra. The extra is what makes a day become extraordinary. It's what we do in our everyday life, our ordinary life, that's just a little bit more that makes it an extraordinary day. It's going above and beyond. And you know, when it comes to our journey, and I look at Paul's journeys, everyone mattered. Everyone. There's no person that was a little too small. And 20 years from now, who will you invest in today? And it's going to have such an impact down the road, and you don't know it. God's will is far more relational than rational. A lot of times we just want to see it. God, would you just lay it out for me so I can see what your will is? And he doesn't do that. And we, we just want to make our God fit what we think it should be and our Christianity to fit what it should be because that's rational. God says, I'm not rational. I'm relational. It's about relationships. It's not about being able to see it all. And we try so hard to make it rational. But love is the game changer of it all. And I say this, and I might regret it, but I think guys have a harder time with this love concept than women do. When I hear you're supposed to love other people, I think of the squishy, lovey little word, love. And how do you do that? How do you love people as a Christian? And when we read this scripture, and you've heard it at weddings all the time, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And the thing is that if I want to go the little extra every day to make the extraordinary day, it's about what I do with this love. If I'm a little more patient with the person, I'm loving them. If I'm a little more kind, I'm loving them. If I'm not envious of them, when something happens and I really root for them and I'm glad for them, I'm loving them. If I don't dishonor them, I'm loving them. When somebody does something and, and we question their motives, a lot of times we, we put the wrong thing in, the negative thing that we think that they're after instead of putting the positive in. And when I put the positive in and give them the grace and mercy, I'm loving them. If it's not self-seeking or easily angered, if I can just let things go, the extra. I'm loving them. If I don't keep a record of when they do something wrong and I just release it, I'm loving them. If I rejoice with the truth, I'm loving them. If I protect them, if I trust them, if I hope in them, I'm loving them. It's the extra that makes a difference. So how many of you guys have been on one of these things? Remember this? You have to touch the merry-go-round. And what I mean by that is when... When my kids were little, we'd sit them down and, and we'd tell them, to hold on, wrap around there, wrap your leg around there, right? And here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to spin this thing, and, and it's, you're going to go around, okay? And there are people that are in our lives that are like that. They're new. They're Christians. They don't know. And we're going to give them the guidance. We're going to get them on the merry-go-round. We're going to touch the merry-go-round. We're going to help them to go, right? As my kids got older, you couldn't make that thing go any faster, right? They were having an awesome time flying through life. And we have people like that now that are going through life, going around the merry-go-round, and they're doing really well. And we want to reach out, we want to touch that merry-go-round, give them a swing. And that swing is the encouragement. It's when we invest in people and we encourage them along their ride, along their walk and their faith. We swing and we help it to keep going. And then you have people that are riding that merry-go-round that are scared to death. 
It's not good. It's not fun. Life's not going well. And we hop on the merry-go-round and we help them. We love them. We hold their hand. We go on the ride with them. And there are people like that in our lives that we just got to get on the merry-go-round at some point and help people. You see, I always thought when I became a Christian that God was going to do something huge in my life. I was going to give Billy Graham a run for his money. I was going to have this huge ministry and do all this great stuff. God said, you know what? I, I can't do that with you until I know I can trust you with the everyday small things. And it took a while to realize that anything God calls me to do, anything he asked me to do in his kingdom is just as important. But God's purpose is more important than our rights. You know, we have a right to do anything we want. You can spend your money on whatever you want. You can do with whatever you want with your time. You can get a divorce and get a new wife or husband. You can do whatever you want. It's all yours. It's your rights. And God says, no, you know, you've got to be willing to lay down your rights and die to them. It amazes me that Paul had the right to use his get-out-of-jail card for free, and he didn't use it. He had the right to, but he knew that God wanted him to do something that was more important than his rights, and he laid it down. So we have to ask ourselves, is God asking you to go through something right now that you have the right not to do, but he wants you to do it? Sometimes we have to just step back from life and look at our circumstances and go, you know where I am here? This really stinks right now. But maybe it's not for me. Maybe it's not about me. And we allow God to change the ordinary to the extraordinary. There's always opportunities. You know, your joy and your purpose are going to be found in the opportunities. And joy is created when we take those opportunities and allow God to work through them. And it's not always the most easy or popular path either. You know, especially in today's times, God demands a lot from us. But the thing is that God doesn't need you to go do extraordinary things. He really doesn't. He wants you to do ordinary things extraordinarily. Take what you do every day and do it extraordinarily. You know, I used to live for the mountaintop experiences. I love nights of worship when we sit in here and we can just connect, and that's how God speaks to me. I love being in nature, and I love those times where you just really, really feel that connect with God, and it's the mountaintop experiences, and we want to park there and stay there, but there's always a backside to the mountain. And the question really becomes, you spend most of your days in the ordinary planes of life, right? And who are you in those days? Who are you in the ordinary days of life? God says, I want you to do the ordinary things extraordinarily. And God's will is all about obedience and the little things, regardless of what happens. That's what he's looking for. You know, we're outcome-driven people. But God says, despite the outcome, I want you to be there for me. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask you guys to challenge you a little bit this week, if you would. If you would, write it, take a piece of paper or a note card and write the word extra on it and put it on your bathroom mirror and put it on your dashboard of your car or your desk at work and have it be a reminder that the God that we serve wants nothing more than to be invited into your day so that he can make it from an ordinary day to an extraordinary day. That reminder that when we start, whatever circumstance you're in during the week, whatever you're doing, whether you're sick, whether you're healthy, whether you're employed, unemployed, start the day by saying, God, I invite you in. And just make this day be an extraordinary day. And it's not always about us having the extraordinary day. We may be making somebody else's day so extraordinary, it's going to have an impact for the rest of their life. But just to remind ourselves, it's the extra. It's that extra step that we go, that extra kindness, that extra love. We have so much to tell of people. 
our opportunities and our obedience creates that joy that you're looking for. And it's extraordinary. So let me, let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, you're just so awesome. As we sit here and read about Paul's days and how he started each day not knowing what you had planned, but he invited you in. And Paul was willing to go the extra mile. He was willing to lay down his rights. He was willing to roll with whatever you had for him, Lord. And look at all the extraordinary things that you were able to do through him. And I pray that for us, God. I pray that as we remind ourselves this week to go the extra, so whatever situation we're in, we want you involved, Lord. We want you in part of it. We want to invite you in, and we want to go the extra mile when we're ready to speak up and say something. Maybe it's that extra kindness or that encouraging word or just the restraint. Maybe when we look at somebody and we're questioning their motives, we just replace that with thinking good thoughts about them. Maybe it's having compassion. Maybe it's jumping in and helping somebody who's having a rough time that extra, Lord. Would you please work through us this week, God, as we turn our lives over to you, as we forfeit our plan for yours, Lord, when we realize that you're all about the relationships, God. When we can't see it, we don't know where it's going, but we're willing to invite you in and let you have control to make an ordinary day be extraordinary. God, I pray that for my brothers and sisters here, that you would do that for us, Lord. You're the one that's full of hope. You're the one that's full of peace. You're the one that's full of love. Just use this as a vessel in your hand this week as we concentrate on this and we try to really follow you as you want. And I know that we're going to have joy doing it, Lord. So we give you the praise, God. We give you the thanks. And in your name we pray. Amen. So if you'd like prayer, love to pray with you, come on up front. Otherwise, go have an extraordinary day.